Computer, initialize Holosuite. Without warning, Riker falls victim to an unknown hysteria. Who are you? And the crew fears he's suffering from a mental breakdown. The mind can manufacture all kinds of things. But are they all in the grips of a powerful delusion? None of it's real. You're still with us on the Enterprise. Or is Riker slipping into a terrifying madness? Let me Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat about everything Star Trek The Next Generation. We're your co-hosts Baz Greenland and Jeff Owen. How are you today, Jeff? I'm pretty good, thanks, Baz. How are you doing? Yeah, you look good. And we've got another guest back. We've got my wonderful wife, Jem, for your third time on Beyond Farpoint. Hello, Jem. Hello. So, Jem and I delved into the depiction of mental illness and trauma in Star Trek in our very third episode back last year. And we're going for a similarly psychological-driven topic this month as we tackle your favourite episode, Jam, aren't we? Season 6 is Frame of Mind. Definitely my favourite by a long shot. Yeah, so what makes this episode of The Next Gen so special then? For me, well, from my stance as a counsellor and a therapist, it's the whole idea of delving into uh, the mental health and the mental illness and the questioning around it is he mentally ill or not what's going on when there are so many layers to the episode it's fantastic isn't it absolutely yeah what about you jeff are you a fan of frame of mind i absolutely love this episode it's i think it's underrated as well because Mm. it never seems to turn up on people's top 10 lists but it's definitely yeah exactly but but it's it's definitely underrated it's a fantastic episode um, and although you pretty much know how the episode is going to pan out, how it's going to end, because let's face it, he's not in a, a mental institution. He's not in a, uh, you know, he's not suffering delusions. We know he's the first officer of the Starship Enterprise, but you can see it slowly get into him over the course of the episode. And at one point, he doesn't even trust his crewmates. Uh, and yeah, it, it's it's fantastic to watch Riker's mind start to unravel as he starts to lose track of reality of what's real. But yeah, it's a fantastic episode. I love how you say, uh, at, like, the pinnacle of it is that he doesn't trust his crewmates. And actually, mm. that's, that's nowhere near it. The pinnacle of it is that he doesn't trust himself. He gets <laughs> yes. well into the point where he has no idea what to trust within himself. So he then has to end up trusting, like, the other, inverted commas, the outside, because he's given up on trusting what's going on in his own head. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. It's an underrated episode. I, I think it's it's one of Next Gen's best. It's it's very different. It's um, you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit about it in a moment. But Brandon Berger loves his pulpy horror, and he really taps into it this mm. episode as well. And he, I was like Genesis, which we've already talked about. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's really great. I think it's for Jonathan Frakes. There are moments when when that kind of slits, but for the most part, I think it's a really really good performance from Frakes as well. I think um, 
he's really on kind of fine form in this episode in some certain moments as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a concept that's been done before. I know you said that um, it's kind of, there's only so far you can go with the concept because you know he is going to kind of realise at the end he is the first officer of the Enterprise. But I know shows have done it before. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, remember, did season six, they did the episode where she's an institution. The idea of her life as a vampire slayer is a kind of a delusion yeah. as well. So, again, similar thing. You kind of, you know that she's, she's going to, at some point, well, you, you assume she's going to realise that actually this idea of this institution is a fake. It's yeah. a fake world, but... I think when you when it is done well, I think Buffy does it well. I think Frey of Mind does it really, really well. Is that actually, as an audience member, you know that everything that Riker is going through is not real. His life on the Enterprise is is the reality, and yet it's twisted in such a way that you you certainly believe that Riker no longer believes what's real. And I think that what helps it as well is that. They've done it in such a way that when he does return to the Enterprise, you get these moments back on board the ship. And even that's weird as well. Yeah. The crew don't seem to be completely there. Crusher takes several attempts to mend the wound on his head. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, that's obviously a fiction as well. So, yeah, it you do start then wondering what's real yourself and... Um, and up until the final moments of the episode, you do start to wonder which of these things is the wards the reality, is the ship the reality. You don't get quite what's going on right until that last moment. And I was thinking this morning about the episode and I was trying to think how much of that episode actually was real and how much was the delusion. I'd say most of it is probably delusion in a, in a way. It, 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 it draws on memory. I think that's what's interesting. Yeah, a lot of the lot of the stuff on on the ship itself is drawn from Riker's memory. So it did happen. The play happened. The um, yes. war prepping him for the mission happened. Yeah, but not necessarily in the time frame of the episode itself. That's almost like before the episode started. So I think that that's what's really interesting. It kind of plays on that on the kind of narrative structure that actually is drawn on memory that we haven't seen before. But it's, mm. it's the past, so it's using those past memories to kind of shape, essentially, Riker's delusions now. Yeah, that's yeah. the idea of the layer upon layer upon mm. layer that you see when he is smashing through those layers visually and the screen cracks and you see what's mm. underneath it and then that goes again and you see what's underneath that. But I think they did something very clever with that, that they kept one thing to keep him grounded all the way through in yeah. that cut on his head mm. and the physical pain so he had the physical physiological i suppose really manifestation of the what was the implant in his into his skull wasn't it that yeah. wouldn't go away and if it actually if you think about it if it wasn't for the cut on his head that didn't sit right with any of the layers of delusion, mm. he wouldn't have been able to break through all the different layers and get right back down to the grounded reality underneath it all. Yeah, because that's obviously the one constant, is that pain that's inside it. of his head. So, yeah, it's really well done. Definitely. Mm. So before we get into the detail of the episode, then I've got a question for you, Jeff. So you're currently in Panto at the moment, aren't you? Doing a Panto yes. this week. So is there a point when the delusion between Panto life and real life is going to start to break down for you? <laughs> oh um i i think life in pantoland would be incredibly fun um 
we are doing our uh, at, at time of recording we did our opening night last night of uh, aladdin we're doing the second night of it now tonight um i'm playing the emperor in this part so a lot of it is <laughs> delusions of grandeur <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that's not the part I auditioned for originally. <laughs> We'd originally done this play about four years ago, and uh, I played Abenaza back then. I wanted to play Abenaza again because it's so much fun being the bad guy. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm now the emperor, so I've got moments that obviously I'm quite loving and caring of Jasmine. But I've got moments where I've got to shout and scream. I've got to be really angry with her as well. It, it's it's so much fun to do. But I hope at no point I ever become like the emperor because, <laughs> the, I, you know, I'm there basically saying you've got to choose a daughter. I'm giving you a list of names. You've got to choose. Uh, sorry, you've got to choose a husband from this list of names. <laughs> I'm giving you no chance. <laughs> Absolutely no chance. And I approve of this wedding at the end of the panto as well. And it's like, why would it matter if I approve it or not? I know, because I'm the emperor. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, uh, if if that becomes reality, then uh, I I think I have truly lost it. Um, <laughs> what, your perceived reality? Yeah, that would be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the one thing I would say is, obviously, with watching it, uh, last night, after we'd done our opening night, started the episode and I went, oh yeah, that's right, it's a play. And seeing Riker getting the line wrong and coming out of the play, because he's going, um, what is he? What does he actually say? It's 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 normal, or it is normal, or something. And Crusher says it's possible to over rehearse. And I've been there backstage, pacing up and down thinking of the lines going now jasmine <laughs> just basically going through it in my mind and if people saw me just walking back and forth saying these lines they'd wonder what on earth was going on <laughs> and there's that moment in the episode where as riker's walking along there's that crew member that just watches him as he goes yeah. by because he's there going i'm not crazy i'm not this and suddenly that this crewman is watching the first officer going, I'm not crazy, I'm not... Uh, and, yeah, I thought, that's perfect. It was brilliant. <laughs> Could have timed it better then. Brilliant. OK, well, let's get a bit into a deep dive then on the story then. So, Frame of Mind, it's the 21st episode of The Next Generation sixth season. It was written by Brennan Braga and directed by James L. Conway. He's a first episode director of the show since season one's The Neutral Zone. It was released in the US on the 1st of May 93 and the 29th of November 95 in here in the UK. So not quite so long gap as some episodes on the show were like three years or more. So in this episode, um, Riker is, as we said, struggling with the nature of his own reality as he finds himself shifting from the Enterprise to an alien asylum that bears a striking resemblance to the play Frame of Mind he's been performing on the ship. And as the episode progresses, his delusions continue as he's unsure whether his career in Starfleet is real or just part of his insanity. So, um... Yeah, watch, you know, could you absolutely see why this is your favourite episode, Jim? Yep. <laughs> My favourite for so many reasons. What are you asking your favourite moments? What are your favourite insights of the episode, then? Oh, gosh, okay. So, I love, actually, from the very, very beginning, the idea of, oh, it's it, it, we're watching Riker in a seemingly state of you know ill mental health right mm. at the beginning and then you get that moment of oh it's a play 
But before you get to that very first moment of, oh, okay, this is just something in the storyline, the first thing that it that took me to when you're watching him for the very first time going, I'm not crazy, I'm not insane, is actually how realistic that can be in real life. Because there is a very, very famous psychological study, um, without trying to be too dry, but <laughs> very famous study by a man called Rosenhan in 1973 called Being Sane in Insane Places. And the idea of this study was the experimenter sent in a bunch of people, about nine people, and himself into various uh, insane asylums, as they were in 1973, and they were people who had no diagnosis and the idea was how long will it take you to convince the people in there the professionals that you are not insane and they they feigned some mild auditory delusions to get in in the first place and then immediately stopped once they got in there and on average it took 19 days from for them to be released and all of them were only released once they agreed that yes they were mentally ill and they agreed that they had to take antipsychotic medication wow so it's <laughs> it's um that's the first thing that struck me when i was watching this I was like yep that's real that's that's what happens <laughs> so that was the the really the first thing yeah i mean i mean that, that, that's terrifying itself the idea that you actually you, you can't prove you're sane mm. in in in, in a situation. I mean, and, and that's really the concept of the episode. Riker, well, obviously there's there's more to it. There's more insidious stuff to it with the aliens at the end. But the idea that Riker is unable to prove his sanity is, I think, you know, this is is, is a horror episode in, in many ways. And I think the idea of just not being able to prove that is is, is, is terrifying. How do you say? How do you convince someone? I'm not crazy without just doing exactly what he's doing, shouting, mm. I'm not crazy. Yeah. And of course, yeah. that sounds crazy. So you can get stuck in this loop for apparently 19 days. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, the open episode, is, I think, is really clear because you, you, you start thinking, oh, is this some kind of media in res thing where you're starting midway through the story and you're always going to go back then 24 hours to build up to what happened to that and you think mm. like he's in the middle of the situation and then uh, what I like is that you obviously data you know you see over his shoulders you don't see it's data but you start to hear data's voice and you go is that data speaking it sounds like data it sounds, sounds like Brent Spiner speaking and gradually as it, as it builds and builds you start to think okay maybe this isn't quite this kind of situation that he might be in and then, and then it builds into play but I, th- I think so even with that very first opening sequence I think it's playing with the audience's expectations on what actually is happening. And that kind of sets the pace for the entire episode. Yeah, absolutely. You do sort of think that you're missing. It's the same sort of thing that happened with with cause and effect when Mm. you start that episode and you think you're already you've missed something because there's already something going on. Obviously, with cause and effect, the ship's at red alert everyone's fighting to try and get the ship under control and suddenly explosion before the opening credits and this one yeah you've got that opening moment you've got Riker trying to explain to an unseen person um, that he is you know he's not insane he's you know he's perfectly sound of mind but yeah basically saying that he's, he's he's trying to prove his innocence he's not insane blah 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 and 
yeah, it's only when you you start to hear the other voice and you think, is that Data? Is that Prince Banner? Interestingly, using contractions mm. um, oh, yeah. when he's acting. <laughs> so um, it got me thinking, can he use contractions if it's written down in a script? But yeah, he's he's obviously using contractions. And yeah, suddenly you, you see Data and you think, okay, what's going on? But yeah, at that point, Riker's already blown his line, gotten what he's meant to say. And Crusher comes in and says, oh, yeah, it's possible to over-rehearse. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a very effective opening because it, cause it, it completely throws you. And I think from there, it just builds and builds and builds. I mean, what do you think of Jonathan Frake's performance then in the episode? By and large, really, really good. I think uh, where he gets into those high levels of distress and you see... You see it. You see the level of distress, just a visual thing, reflected in the craziness levels of his hair. I don't know if you noticed that. The more he rakes his hands through his hair, the 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 more dishevelled he starts to look, and you know he he carries that through in the performance in the generally the way he's speaking. Most of the time, it's not overdone. I think it's you know pretty much it's an accurate performance perhaps to the level of confusion distress upset that you would get if you really were in that kind of situation with the exception of that one point where he just goes no which was so irritating that I wanted to punch the screen what, when, slightly when he attacks uh, Mavic in the asylum yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and and that moment frustrated me because I thought he'd been doing it so well up till then and the, and then there was that that one moment and I went oh damn it and and it's now he's broken it now <laughs> it took ages to kind of get back into oh yeah okay we've got we've got the performance back I'm, I'm back in the the room with it if you like it's, it's a bit like the Anakin putting on the Darth Vader mask moment yes. for the first time <laughs> the unbelievable scream Personally, I think it's Freaks' best performance throughout Trek. I cannot think of mm. an episode where he he's better um, mm. than this one. Uh, even episodes like Best of Both Worlds, where he's put in command of the Enterprise and... You know, even recently, recently, like Nepenthe, uh, I no, I, I think this is his best Star Trek performance. Um, and I put this up there with Patrick Stewart's torture in Chain of Command. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it pushes Riker to his absolute limits. I think that's that's what's great about the episode. I, I agree. I think this is one of Jonathan Frakes' best performance. The no bit aside, which I think is 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 terrible. Yeah. Uh, I I think you know there is there's so much depth and nuance. The way he plays that madness is so so good. And um, and even the, even the quieter moments when he's trying to kind of work through what's going on and, and the moments we like there's some lovely scenes with Troy in this episode as well which I really like and with Crusher as well so you get the kind of softer side of his character balanced against that kind of rising insanity and uh, well the not the insanity as such the um, delusions the delusions and and the that frustration and terror as it kind of builds and pr- trying to prove himself but he, he almost is acting like he's, a, like he's crazy because he's trying to prove he's not crazy, which is mm. obviously the, the whole concept. There's uh, a great element of humanity to him in mm. this, actually. You know, he's 
often he can be quite a two-dimensional character. You know, he's, he's the ladies' man and the second in charge, and those are his roles. In this, you see much more of him as uh, an in-depth human being yeah. than you do in probably most other episodes, if any. Yeah, I agree. I'm sorry, I do like Rike. I think Rike is a, is a really good character, but... Sorry, Jonathan Frakes. I don't think he's the strongest performer in in this show. I think I think it, a lot of it goes down to Frakes' charm as Riker. There's a lot of that to, to, to the performance where you you, you like him, but I, I don't think he's one of the strongest actors. I think there are better actors on the show, and I think I agree. Know, he, he he's fine. He's fine. He do, he he plays the role well, but there's there's very little when I see in Riker that I go, wow, that was brilliant. You know, he has some great storylines like the aforementioned Best of Both Worlds, with that whole dilemma: what to do with Picard being assimilated and he's in charge and not want fighting against it and the rivalry with Shelby. That's a, that's a really good Riker storyline. Mm. But I think there's very few storylines where you see Riker really pushed out of his limits and Jonathan Frakes really getting to kind of let loose. I think that's what's so good about this episode. Frame of Mind allows Jonathan Frakes to really delve into Riker's psyche and Riker to be pushed outside of his comfort zone. I think it kind of you're pushed beyond all that kind of that that charm and confidence you get from the character normally into something that yeah, it's right is much more human. I'm going to read uh, a bit from the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion, actually from Larry Nemechek. Um, and it's a quote from Brandon Braga talking about this. He said, Riker's a friendly character. He's the one human you can do humour with. You can do action. And here you can jerk him around and drive him crazy. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they, they pitched this idea. Apparently the script that they were going to do fell through in the last minute. And they they just basically went in with this pitch and went, what if Riker woke up in an insane asylum? That was the entire pitch. And they went, yeah, go with it. Yeah, it's great. And it plays, as I said, Bernard Barger's love of Poppy Horror. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, it's catalogue of scripts, you know, filled with these realm of fear, frame of mind, Genesis, which we discussed last year, which is from Poppy Horror, you know, there's the dreaded sub Rosa as well. You know, the uh, the uh, Victorian <laughs> sex ghost crusher storyline is, is 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 utterly <laughs> terrible. Like the candle. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, at some at some point we have to cover the episode, but I think there's, oh, a, there's a, a way off that yet. So bad. When we get we, we we'll have to get somebody from uh, north of the border to talk about Planet Scotland, I think. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you know he, he does love his poppy horror and, and some of his fun and Gen- yeah we talked about Genesis last year your guilty pleasure episode and you're not a fan Jeremiah of, of Genesis when they all de-evolve into the kind of primate things not but, hugely it's okay but there's some great horror moments like, like we talked about last year like um, Spider Barkley it's just it's monstrous atrocity, and, uh, and he does it a lot. You know, even episodes like Voyager, like Macroisms, I think is it Macroisism. I think how you pronounce it. Macrocosm. That's the one. Yeah, where Jeremy goes full on Ripley against the alien bugs on the ship, and then obviously mm. a lot of sort of Borg stuff in Scorpion as well, with the kind of the the Borg totem pods of corpses. We you know there's moments in that episode as well, which are really full on horror. And I think he loves it. He loves his horror. And I think yeah. it's probably where Bernard Barber has his most fun. You know. Yeah, some roses a point where it goes to too far in, in the worst way. But, you know, this is a fantastic example of him tapping into that love of pulpy horror and kind of really letting loose. And I, I think the episode really, really has fun playing with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't really add anything to that. It's Brandon Braga. You, you know when you see his name in the script uh, on the um, writing credits of the episode that you're going to be in for a, a ride, yeah. no matter what the ride is. 
Absolutely, yeah. From you know, there's, the weird, there's lots of weird angles in the episode. There's that creepy piano music, which um, you know, it's very on Star Trek. It's very you see in a cheesy horror movie, but somehow it works in this episode. I think for me, it, it but it is, is that kind of creepy ding 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 of the piano that plays a lot in the episode, which is mm. not the usual kind of Star Trek fare as well. So you you know, really plays it. We're in a horror movie now as well. That it, works so, yeah. because yeah. you've got that balanced with the visual. I don't know if you noticed where. Um, obviously normally on Star Trek apart from those very specific moments they are always in uniform all of the time mm. and this is that where you were listening to that music and you were commenting while we were watching it I was noticing that this is the, um, him walking down the corridor talking to people but wearing the insane asylum outfit Yeah. so it fits because he doesn't fit in that visual that you're looking at in that moment and so they've put the music perhaps that doesn't fit slightly to match it so you, you mm. get away with it yeah that's fantastic oh, I didn't notice that I'll have to watch that yeah. again to see that I didn't <laughs> that. Yeah, I, I mean it's really well directed you know as I said um, James L. Conway who he directed a couple mm. of season one episodes and it's the only other one he did actually and I think he does a great job because it is quite atmospheric you know there's a constant cutting back and forth between different kind of delusions and you know what is real what isn't and uh yeah i see lots of weird angles and the kind of the mood lighting of the asylum as well you know there's a lot of kind of atmosphere which kind of builds around kind of riker's struggle against against this kind of the situation he's in so i think i think he does a really good job of kind of matching braga's kind of horrid horror tropes as well what do you think about that the crewman that he sees early on uh the lieutenant or administrator sooner who obviously transfers over and becomes part of his part of the delusion in the uh in the ward as well because he sees him a couple of times on the ship Mm. and at that point he's already sort of questioning what's going on because even when he's walking down the corridor repeating his lines he sees this lieutenant yeah Presumably he's never seen this lieutenant before. No. But you think, well, he's the first officer. Isn't that part of the position whereby he would know about crew transfers and things like that? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, what, a crew of a thousand people or something like that on the ship. Yeah. It's a big ship. And I, mean, I think at one point he does ask Troy if there's been a new lieutenant transferred on board. So, yeah, I, I think that's supposed to be as well. I, I just assumed it's a, it's a big, big ship and... Uh, if someone's recently recently transferred on board, you may not have got around to do it. I, I don't know if Riker's personally responsible for the kind of uh, the HR of, of, of the ship as part of his role. Yeah. I, I, I can't really imagine Riker in HR. I, I, can't, I kind of feel Riker, you know, the, the ladies' man would maybe pull up in front of HR a few times, but I'm not sure uh, he would actually work quite well managing the, the human resources for the ship. Which is a separate department for that. Maybe, maybe that. maybe that's a whole separate storyline. You know, there's lower decks episode. Maybe there's um, next generation HR. Uh, <laughs> you you can see lower decks doing that. Can't oh you? God, the HR God. department of the Cerritos. Just just going back then to flip that on his head. If he doesn't recognize him but you've got a crew of over a thousand mm. would a new crew member really bug him that much in that case because surely he'd be used to faces he's never seen before on the ship yeah i mean he was right to be distrusting because mm. obviously of what we find out later but yeah it was i i didn't know how to take that first moment i suppose i took that to be the first moment where you really could start to see the physical embodiment of this being something wrong that because i I think i can see both sides of your argument that yeah maybe if 
he was used to seeing new people, it wouldn't be a problem. If he wasn't used to seeing new people, it wouldn't be a problem. So the fact that he is caught out by this is therefore symbolic of, okay, it's, it's not just these little bits in his mind and, and things to do with the play itself. There's something now coming out on a practical level within the ship. And that's the first time you go, oh, okay, right. So this this plays into it. What is this? Because this has caught him out. And it, that's what I think is perhaps meant to draw you in and say, okay, why has this caught him out? I didn't know where maybe there was an element to the idea that it was a species he hadn't seen before. Because perhaps mm. you might think, okay, well, he might note one way or the other if there was a brand new species on the ship. Don't know. I mean, you'd have to fill me in if I've got that yeah. wrong. But... But yeah, it, it just seemed to me that moment where you went, right, okay, so here's the next level of, okay, what's going wrong here? What's going on? Yeah, I, I think it works in retrospect. In the context of the whole episode, it works. I, I think it's the kind of hook of the pre-tart sequence. You've had the whole, is it's not is actually a play and not right in a situation. But then the pre-tart sequence of the episode doesn't actually end there. It ends with him going to the ship, going for the lines. You mentioned that bit with the, with the crew member, I think, Kind of looks the modelly, and then you got this crew member on on the um, kind of a turbo lift um, sooner, and it's like, oh, that's weird. But it, it, I think it's played up as being weird, but it doesn't necessarily work as a kind of like, oh, what's happening here? Kind of hook. So I think I think I know it works better when you get the rest of the episode, and sooner pops up a few yeah. times, and sooner pops up in the play, and so on as well. I think as a kind of the actual hook of the of the whole episode, the pre-title sequence, it's maybe a little less successful for me. Oh, sorry. I, I think what would have been a better hook is the moment when the crew member in sickbay is staring at him. I think yeah. that probably would have been um, a, a good way of doing it because he, he's obviously staring at Riker and Riker gets unnerved by the fact that this injured crewman um, is looking at him. I think that might have been a better hook because, yeah, that that is unnerving to have someone who's just been injured sort of staring at you. So... Yeah, I think that might have been a better See, one. See, that's interesting, because that, that moment didn't really land with me. Uh, uh, really? We, no, we, we kind of rewound it, because I was like, well, what what was weird about that? And and Baz was saying, oh, well, it's because he was staring at him that way. Oh, okay, I didn't. it didn't really click with me particularly, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think it's always little moments that build up, don't they? I, th- I think, and... Uh, and then when you get start getting to, I think it's, it's a little while before you get to. Oh, he's he's in the actual in the in the asylum. I think that's what's really good. You get the whole bit where he's talking to Troy about he's maybe he's struggling, and there's a that lovely scene when she's talking about um, exploring the dark side. I'll I'll take over here, Don. You take over, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's talking about the Jungian idea of the shadow self that she says the the, the dark side of yourself, which is a very well-known part of um, Jungian theory. Jung, if you don't know, is kind of like second after Freud. And this is one of his most famous ideas that we all have this dark side to ourselves, and that it can be something that we go to great lengths not to look at in ourselves because it's by definition those dark parts of us that are uncomfortable to look at. And what I really liked actually in the episode, I don't know if you caught it, was that that idea of the shadow self actually came around again on itself later in the episode. So she was explaining this idea of, you know, maybe it's worth looking, exploring those darker parts of you that might be helpful to you. And then later on, 
when they're doing the whole idea of the parts psyche uh, what's it what's it called uh, the, the reflections the reflections that's yeah, the one yeah, yeah the reflections the interaction that was basically uh and a representation of exactly the same thing saying you know it the sunak says is it sunak whoever whichever character Su- it was sunak yes yeah, sunak yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. sunak yeah yeah he, so he was saying you know you sure you want to do the reflection therapy because actually you, it may make you look at parts of yourself that you don't want to look at because they can be uncomfortable and it came round exactly onto what she'd been talking about earlier in the episode. Mm. Well, I thought the whole reflections treatment was a fascinating idea. It was, it was really, really cleverly done. When that you was had... my favourite bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think just the idea of you know, I mean, it's obviously the, the crew was reflections of subconscious, and you, you had uh, Troy as the, the the emotional side. I think. Yeah, Troy as the emotional side. Uh, well, as, so Troy as the feelings. The actions of the behaviours were Wharf and the logic was Picard, which yeah. I found an interesting choice. I had possible a couple of other possible choices for that, but data. Hmm? Data. I was thinking mm. either data or if they'd had a Vulcan character, that would work because I think what they were going for when they went for Picard wasn't quite the the logic, but it was the the higher level thinking, if you mm. like, executive functioning, so you don't get more yeah. executive than Picard. But yeah. actually, they described it as logic, which would have, yeah, made much more sense as data. Yeah. Maybe it was to give uh, uh, Patrick Stewart something to do because he wasn't actually in the episode much. Quite possibly. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think Worf as the, as the action was, was really good as well. You had that scene early on mm. when Worf's talking through the... Uh, the, the mission, which ties into the whole cut on the head as well, so that kind of that, that kind of breaking down of what was actually real or not. But um, yeah, I think Worf was actually obviously yeah Troy as his as his emotion, his feelings is perfect. I wish there'd been more of actually Troy in the episode on the Enterprise stuff because I mean Crusher kind of filled a lot of that role as well, which understandable from a medical point of view. But um, yeah, that scene where. Troy is talking about embracing the darker side on, in Ten Ford was was a lovely mm. moment, and there was a scene later on where they're kind of. We're, we're on the corridor together, but I think for the most part there wasn't enough really of. I was obviously I know there's a relationship, but also Troy as that therapist, as that person with a psychological background to help guide Riker through what was going on when he was on the Enterprise scenes. Absolutely, I think there could have been huge amount more. They dipped into it occasionally with the the bits that I've described here, but they've done other episodes where she's been more interactive and has gone through that kind of. Uh, level of explanation and support for other characters and so i think it was perfectly plausible that that could have been done here and it is a shame that it was missed what did you think of the whole reflection treatment scenes uh jeff well i think uh, jen's probably more qualified on that one than me yeah. but um, <laughs> it, it yeah it was definitely fascinating to watch basically people speaking for him uh, speaking about his emotions his um action his logic and putting them in the bodies that they did and the representations and the first time i was watching i was thinking okay how how are they getting them involved because obviously at, at one point it turns around and suddenly these characters then say right we're your colleagues we're trying to get you off here you know stay with us blah 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 and yeah i i it was, as I said, 
Jem is, is much more qualified for it. I I watched it. I I was very interested from a TV <laughs> point yeah. of view. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 a great way of um, detailing his emotions, and obviously they're all trying to get to the bottom of what happened with this supposed murder or this attack that Riker was suspected of. But yeah, it, it was it was a it was a fascinating way of going into it. I think there could have been more to it, mm. but maybe that's just me that they they could have been more depth and more detail to that. I liked the pace at which they switched from one character speaking to another because mm-hmm. that's kind of quite representative of. Uh, Again, I think they should have done this a little bit more. It should have been more representative of the level of chaos, internal mental chaos that was going on. They had a little bit of it ramping up as each character started to get faster and faster, taking over each turn of speaking. But if they were, in order to balance, because this is the internal representation of what we'd been watching as the inverted commas insanity, on the from the outside so we're then trying to see that this from the inside now and there wasn't quite the level of distress chaos noise coming from those three characters overlapping interacting didn't quite balance what you saw in frakes's performance from the outside there could have been yeah. it, it just could have been if you like louder messier less clear talking over each other yeah exactly yeah. talking over each other ending up in you know what i would have loved to have seen actually thinking off the top of my head is um ending up with them arguing with each other actually <laughs> and yelling and screaming yeah. because that's what you kind of would get in this you know when you get this level of confusion you get this level of i, mean, I might go into this more later but the whole idea of what I said earlier, the idea of not trusting yourself. Mm. You could really delved into that and gone to the idea of the different parts of self that were being represented by each character didn't trust each other because he didn't, or they could argue with each other or they could have disagreed with each other on what actually happened. And that could have been a way of them kind of defeating the whole idea of trying, you know, the, the, Sunak character was trying to figure out what happened in this event and perhaps they could have gotten to a point where Sunak was like well we're just we're not going to get the answer because actually we've if you like messed him up so much that he doesn't know he's dis- different parts of him are disagreeing with himself so if he doesn't know nobody's ever going to mm. be able to know and they kept it quite clarified and straightforward perhaps for the sake of the viewer but it would have been it would have had an extra layer if it had been more intense and more entangled. I thought we were getting into a bit of a political podcast then, because um, you were saying Sunak disagreeing with him with uh, himself. I was thinking, okay, I no, don't sorry. Think about Rishi Sunak. <laughs> <Sorry, no. laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story there. Yeah, no. Oh, don't yeah, know. Yeah, that was fine. No, yeah. So it was. I think maybe it was a slight view. You had two characters. I mean, Sunak actually. Sunak was the administrator that was responsible for everything happening. Who was more representative by the um, staff officer who was at the end? I think actually it was that was played by Andrew Pine. Then you had David Selberg playing Dr. Cyrus, who was actually a different character, who was a doctor, kind of doing the treatment as well. So, yeah, I, I think it should have just been sooner all the way through that maybe would have been yeah. more interesting. But I think I mean, there is a mystery of who sooner is, maybe. But yeah, and then you had Cy- Dr. Cyrus, 
who's a doctor giving the treatments and, and talking through Riker through the therapy as well. Right, so, okay. yeah, but I, I agree. Maybe there was too, too many aspects there. Maybe kept it as Sooner would have worked as well. But uh, um, I guess there's some extra kind of that kind of pulpy mystery of who Sooner is, who is his Starfleet officer as well, was uh, was another aspect. I mean, it's almost like the red herring in terms of the, the kind of the um, the scar, the the, the the wound that he had on, on his forehead mm. was the constant because that was representative of the implant on him. Whereas I think maybe they were trying to play with the idea of Sooner being that kind of constant thing. He's on the Enterprise, he sees him in the asylum as well, but actually it's something slightly different and like more kind of hidden away with the idea of Sooner being the man responsible. Dr. Cyrus was kind of the almost like the assistant in a way, the one doing the treatments, who was kind of the face of, of, of the kind of horror he was going through in the asylum as well. So... Yeah, there was quite a, yeah, quite a lot going on there as well. Um, I mean, for me as a storyteller, one thing I really liked, because you know, as a writer as well, was the kind of the constant changing of the narrative and what's going on as well. You had that whole opening bit where it's actually not a scene; it's actually a play. It's playing, and obviously there's a mystery going on. I liked the the transition from. Um, Riker and Troy talking about the play the next day and then you see the play being performed you think oh we've moved to that point and then he wakes up mm. in the asylum and it flips everything else and actually the play hasn't even happened yet and it's so it's kind of messing around with yeah. as an audience member it's messing with, with your mind as well you know what is going on it's kind of I like that kind of the insanity almost in the way these scenes are juxtaposed against each other because you yourself aren't clear what's going on there is no clear narrative flow from beginning to end it's to reflect out from him to the viewer, the mm. level of confusion. Mm. that So it draws you in to the helplessness and the lack of trust that you have in, mm. you know, in, I suppose you have a lack of trust in the narrative and a lack of trust in, in the character's understanding of what's going on for himself, but they do a very good job of reflecting that out mm. to the viewer so that you sit there going, well, I can't trust... Yeah. which this is whether I'm watching a story about a play or whether I'm watching a story about someone in an asylum and it connects you in that way and then you get to the end of the episode and you find out that the play's already happened it was days ago yeah yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely which okay I guess the idea of those scenes they're almost like their memory rather than just saying created up as well which is which is kind of great so you get a sense of the kind of the length of time around this as well um I mean I guess it also it in terms of playing, he was playing with kind of your expectation as well. There's that really interesting scene with um, Susanna Thompson, who's obviously plays a lot of Star Trek roles. She was in uh, Deep Space Nine. She was the Borg Queen in the end of Voyager as well. And um, yeah, so she's playing an inmate who is supposedly the Starfleet officer. And there's a moment kind of halfway through, you think, oh, okay, so he is in an asylum and Starfleet's trying to get him out. And, and then she gets the communicator and actually it's a spoon. And suddenly, again, you think, oh, it's going to be... The, no, it's the, and something else. And then you don't know whether to trust it or not. You yourself don't know to ever trust. Whereas she is a Starfleet officer and she's like, right, because she's made to believe that actually maybe she's uh, um, struggling with, with, with the same issues that Riker's struggling. Yeah. Impatient. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or whether she actually is a patient there as well. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, well, the one word I wrote down for that I, whole scene was hope. Because that's, to me, that's what that was about. When you had those few moments mm. where, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe this is something that makes sense. And it gives him the character, which projects onto you, the viewer, this idea of maybe there's a little bit of hope here. Maybe it'll all be okay. And then she gets the spoon out and, nope, okay. And then the opposite of hope, obviously hopelessness. So that's what it sends him further down to that next level of, oh, 
oh okay no it's it's not it's nothing that's actually going to help me and generally what happens when you get given a little bit of hope and then it gets destroyed very quickly in that way is it will send you further down into a state of hopelessness so that's taking him down that next level yeah it's all about dismantling him and um Mm. making him as you said earlier making him completely doubt everything that he's ever believed in i was going to ask a question do you think the episode as a as a as a kind of a, a good job of Riker? build the idea of the Enterprise being as a delusion? Does it, does it kind of feel natural, the pace at which it gets to that point when he, when actually he refuses to be rescued because he believes that actually they are delusion rather than the asylum? Um, it's sort of the accelerated thing. How long did they say this whole thing was meant to have taken? 19 days or something, was that? Yeah, something like that. I think he's only been there two days, but they say I really nine... hope it was 19 days. Because I wonder if that's in that case based on the being sane and insane places because that was 19 days. <laughs> Quite possibly. I would love yeah. it if they actually did their research. And yeah. That'd be fantastic. Because <laughs> it's an incredibly famous study. Yeah. So. I, I think you find out that it's two days he's actually been under that device. But I think maybe it's supposed to be a lot I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be a lot longer. Maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was 19 days. Yeah, it, it's um, obviously from his point of view, if he feels he's been there that long, and the only glimpse of anything that he's known before is of things that don't feel real to him and this crew member who, or sorry, this person who was uh, saying that she's a crew member but is also delusional as well. It, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely believe the sort of deterioration of his mind over that period. And, yeah, if it had been over a couple of hours, I don't know if I'd buy it. But then I don't know about being in that kind of stressful situation. Can't really speak from experience on that one. You get something called time dilation as well when you're in that kind of level of stress and that kind of situation where the mind loses the capacity to be able to work out actually what kind of time frame you are talking about. So you've got an extra level of he might have thought it was days when it was weeks or vice versa. So you can kind of take that as you want to take it, I think. Yeah, and presumably that uh, where he is, there's no sort of indication of any kind of passing of day or night. So they could control completely how he perceives time. So... You know, he could. Uh, they could make out that yeah, it's daytime for three hours or whatever, and he may think that that's gone by quite quickly. But with no way of looking at a clock or anything, he would start to accept it. I don't know. Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, he probably would because he'd have to. It would be part of that giving himself over to the other because he can't trust himself. Thing that he's got nothing internally anymore Mm. it's all been as you say dismantled so that would go up to and including things like his circadian rhythms that tell him whether it's night or day and whether it's to be to be awake or to fall asleep and so once that had been taken from him stripped from him then he'd have no choice but to rely completely on the information that he gets from the outside so yeah it it could be anything in terms of time frame really and Mm. he would accept it yeah the, i think the only time that you mentioned actually passages of time apart from over the days spent there is the what they say that 
his crewmates tried to break him out the night before, which is which is the scene when Data and Worf turn up. Mm. Which he didn't find actually that wasn't Data and Worf, or he actually he did. He, I say he had a delusion that he was trying to break out, and it was just him on his own. And they say that was last night, which suggests that yeah, in, in the previous night he tried to break out, believing that Worf and Data had come to come to rescue him. But uh, again, it's almost like the next scene. So I think the episode is so fragmented and does such a great job of of jumping from one delusion to the next to the next. You don't know where things are. You don't know as an audience member where you are. So how is Ryker really supposed to understand? Absolutely. Kind of, you know, is it day? Is it night? Was it yesterday? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? You know, who knows what it is? So, so I think, yeah, I think it's... Uh, there, there is no concept, and because it's all this kind of closed set, yeah, it, it could be there for minutes, hours, days, weeks. You, you, you wouldn't really know. So, what do you think then of the kind of the scene when he starts to kind of realize what's going on? He, he's rescued on the Enterprise, and then he, he all the shattering of the glass as he breaks through each reality. Are we talking about the sick bay moment? Yeah, so he's in the in sick bay. He's been rescued by the crew. He doesn't trust them. He turns a phase on himself, and he goes for each kind of each scenario. He goes yeah. from the sick bay to the asylum, back to the, you know, back and forth again, trying to realize, trying to break through each of the kind of facades that he's got going on. Yeah, he's he's obviously thinking that he's back under the delusion because Crusher's there trying to repair the wound on his head. Card's obviously off to one side. He's very jumpy. Anytime somebody talks or makes a movie, he sort of jerks away from them, not trusting. I think Picard says something at one point and Riker, you could possibly see start to warm a little bit more to him because he gives some information. And then he gets the pain in his head again looks at Crusher and goes, it's bleeding again. I thought you'd, uh, I thought you'd um, healed this. Then he grabs the phaser, turns it on himself, and suddenly he's back in the ward. The effects of that, I think, was fantastic. Um, and I think you said earlier it was all about breaking down the layers. And, yeah, he obviously has used this phaser, turned it on himself... Presumably he's got it on kill setting because he's there going, why am I still here? Then they said, that's not a phaser, it's a knife. I'm thinking, why would you tell him he's got a knife? Because if he has got a knife, surely that's still deadly. Um, yeah. he, even if it's a kitchen... Uh, butter you know, knife. Refectory, yeah. <laughs> butter knife. You can still do some damage with that if you're not you know, not not operating completely. Then he says, well, I'm going to turn this up to the maximum level. He obviously kills the one crew, uh, the one doctor or the one person that's in the ward and going, right, how do you explain that? Right, if this is a knife, then this shouldn't destroy half this building. Next thing you know, he's back in the play. He's, he's there arguing with, is it Dr. Cyrus at that yeah. point? But you've got Picard, Crusher, Troy there, giving him a round of applause. Well, I, um, I love that. I love the idea that every time, every time he fought back, they applauded higher, and they were building that standing yeah. ovation as you start yeah. to fight back. It was so I well love done. Because that that's again, they were playing on the ideas of all those crewmates being the representation of the side of his subconscious that was fighting for him. So that yeah. you know, in trying to give him that round of applause and that encouragement, that's the bit saying there's still a part of me in here 
that is fighting for me and not giving up. And he's getting the support from his psyche going, you're doing this, you, you've yeah. got it, go for it. That's it. Yeah. Because generally Brilliant. speaking, our unconscious does that for us. You know, mm. it's, it's on our side. So it was really nice to see that as a, a full-blown representation in a way that was still quite stilted, perhaps is the word. Mm. The, you know, with the way that the, the clapping is... Uh, the sound on it obviously starts very jerky and finishes very abruptly. And, you know, it's... And then... It's, yeah, yeah, you know, it it doesn't feel natural. It feels it's, forced, but it's still this representation of something real. It's it's like someone, uh, a whole group of people being told, right, clap now. Yeah, yeah, no stop. Yeah, but then you get the moment where he himself fractures, and obviously at that point he finds himself back in the lab where they've actually got that implant on his skull and i loved the fact that to get him back to reality he himself has been destroyed um because he's he's realized presumably that this is all a fiction this is all a fabrication bang he's back in reality but i don't know if that's feasible what do you think jim Good question that I don't really feel qualified to answer. (laughs) We're we're at psychiatric level now. I know I've said this on a few podcasts, but I have to be careful where I where I draw the line on counselling and therapy versus psychiatrist, and that's probably beyond what I can accurately comment on. I think it's interesting that that you get to the point where he understands what's real, and you know he breaks through these different realities. He basically he fractures himself a couple of times, doesn't he? And, and then others as well, and breaking that down. And then when he's in that lab, he realizes that actually maybe it's that kind of realization that the cut on his forehead is actually because of the device. So that kind of that trigger is actually this is what is real. That's the grounding. Yeah. yeah. So, so he doesn't actually. So at that point, he doesn't consider killing himself, killing the doctor or, you know, doing anything. He's literally right. He basically signals the Enterprise to beam him out because he realises he's at the point when he knows what's real, which... Okay, because through, there's still some, obviously, disorientation at that point, yeah. but there's, a, there's at least a, a moment of realisation that he's now back in kind of in reality, so to speak, and, and not under the delusion. Yeah, he's he's almost, if you like, hit rock bottom and come started to bounce back up mm. again he's he's gotten to the point where he first decided to use the phaser on himself that was the rock bottom of i've got nothing left to lose here it can't get any worse so i'm, mm. I'm you know if i die i die i may as mm. well and he went all the way through that and as can happen with with mental health crises you hit rock bottom and with or without support however it happens you can then start to to come back up again and this is kind of what happened with him that he had to hit that bottom point in order to get that recognition of perhaps starting again i'm thinking off the top of my head again maybe the idea of having to trust himself again when he was like okay well i i trust myself to make that ultimate choice of life or death you know i've got nothing left that i can hold on to in reality not even my own thoughts so the last ditch attempt that i have to maintain any control over anything within myself or my world is to make that life or death decision and after he makes that and that comes out with a positive outcome for him 
then he's on his way back up. Yeah. Just a thought as well. When he's in, uh, just before he finds himself in the lab, that final delusion where he's on the stage talking to Dr. Cyrus and the crew were there applauding him. Would that be like the the sort of, um, if you like, a finger click moment of, aha, because he does say none of this is real. And he's obviously got both delusions going on at the same time. He's got his crew on the Enterprise. He's got Picard. He's got Ray, uh, He's got Crusher. He's got Troy. They're all watching him. He's also got on the other side the wards, the mental asylum, the doctor that's there arguing with him. They're both there as far as he's concerned now in this reality. And he's obviously thinking, well, neither of these are real. Because they can't both exist at the same time. Yeah. And I've got a cut on the side of my head. I'm still in pain. This is definitely not real. Aha. Uh, yeah, I I would certainly agree with that. That it was it's the the uh, he's recognizing the disconnect between the things that he's experiencing, so seeing and hearing the auditory visual delusions, and actually the um the one thing that can sometimes occur when you somebody who suffers with these sorts of things is that yeah when the delusions conflict with each other then that can bring about a, another state sometimes that can make it worse and mm. the, you know you then can't cope because you can't choose where you're what you're meant to believe and sometimes as in this case it can have the effect that you're talking about going aha okay right so Maybe there's some clarity here. Afterwards, how long would he have had, do you think, to return to normal, return to normal? <laughs> well, that must have been... TV time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talked See, about this on our... The following on, episode. Yeah, we talked about this on, our, on the other podcast, didn't we, where we thought, you know, these characters got voice trauma. I think far from probably Picard and family, we had an episode to deal with that trauma and assimilation. These characters, they did go next to the back to normal again. There, yeah. there was no real, um, there's no real exploration of of the trauma itself. I think Discovery is the only show now that is starting to do a bit of that. Yeah, mm. no, absolutely. He'll, he'll wake up the next morning. Everything's fine now. My mind was completely violated and shattered, but I'm fine today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in in reality, it would have taken him a very long time, and he would have suffered mm. with significant PTSD that would have actually needed actual treatment. Ironically, uh, so. <laughs> Which would have been very difficult to do because how do you trust the treatment when your delusion was about having treatment? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So actually, thinking about it, it probably would have taken a really long time in reality. Yeah. I almost wonder, maybe we need to watch episodes where characters go through horrific trauma and see in the next episode if they're in it much and if they are, how, you know, like if (laughs) if they're not in it much, you go, okay, they're not in around in the storyline because they're dealing with their own trauma and they're dealing with the therapy and stuff. It's probably, they're probably absolutely back to normal, but uh, it's, uh, yeah. Well, Well, the next episode after this is Suspicions and Riker's not in it much. Oh, there you go. Right, Riker's having his own therapy, dealing with the trauma in that episode. Then that must be what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that, shall we? Yeah, yeah. We'll kind of, um, uh, yeah. Do you think the dismantling of the set that he does right at the end catharsis him? Catharsis. Catharsis. Yeah. Absolutely. I was really pleased 
that they got to do that at the end. I, I wish you'd seen a little bit more of it. Yeah, range. You know, just, yeah. yeah, you know, you, you saw him taking one piece out and then went, okay, yeah, I can get behind the idea of then that'll get louder and bigger and stronger and end up with, with bang, crash, destruction, An which axe. is what would have... Exactly, yeah, that's what would have you know needed to have happened, really, ideally. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that they at least lent into that at the end. Yeah. As soon as he started pulling it apart, I thought, yeah, I, I can... As I said, from my point of view, I thought that would help me mm. if mm. something like that was going on. But I don't know if that's a, a proper psychological... Yeah, yeah that <laughs> sounds about right. And I, and I think they they put it quite nicely, actually, because he was saying, you know, I, I couldn't rest whilst I knew it was still here. Um, because mm. it was that very real physical manifestation of everything the the trauma that he's just been through so to be able it in a way i suppose he's really quite lucky because there are not many people that would get to be able to physically dismantle the representation of the trauma that they've just been through mm. in such a way that could be as cathartic as physical destruction mm. so maybe that's why he didn't need too much of his <laughs> therapy because he got to do that instead who knows <laughs> fab so um any kind of final thoughts on the episode about you jeff any final thoughts on frame of mind uh it's been interesting hearing Gemma's take on it actually because obviously i can only watch it as somebody who watches tv um (laughs) so it's 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 interesting to hear it from that counselor point of view and you know knowing exactly what what's feasible what's not what's in the realms of science fiction what could be done in the actual therapy um so yeah i've i enjoyed the episodes anyway i think i'll uh, i'll look at it anew uh, <laughs> going forward uh, what about you jim just it was awesome i think <laughs> that's my final thought it was my favorite for a reason because it i think it just did such a good job in so many ways of drawing 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 you in as a viewer and keeping you hooked on what was real what wasn't real sitting with actually quite a lot of the emotional expression that he goes Mm. through you know the things like the confusion the distress the anger at the end so you know i i really give it very high marks for that and i will be watching it again definitely yeah i think i like that you're you're brought into that disorientation with him and you as your viewer aren't really clear what what's happening as well and i think yeah it's you're right, Jeff, that it's a very underrated episode. I, I, I think I did an article on my top 10 episodes of, of TNG a few years ago for a site I wrote for, and I'm pretty sure I put Frame of Mind on there. Uh, but I think it's so underrated. I think you're right. I think it's Jonathan Freaks, one of his, it's one of his, if not his best performance, because he gets to let loose and, and play a very different side to the character. And it's, it's that pulpy horror. I, mean, I love horror movies anyway, but it's got a psychological horror going on, but done in such a way that it really kind of draws you in as an audience member. So, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's definitely one of TNG's best. And I think it, it's definitely worth a reappraisal for maybe those who haven't seen it again. I certainly hadn't watched the episode for quite for a few years now and just got so much out of it again. Yeah, me too. And that's it because I hadn't watched it for a while. I watched it going, I couldn't remember what was real and what was mm. not. 
and then get into the final moments and realizing that none of it was real. Yeah. Um, because I'm pretty sure that as soon as that episode opens, we're already in Riker's delusion at that point. It doesn't lose the impact as well of um. No, I mean it was all a dream. Yeah. Yeah. I I I know I hadn't seen it for a few years, and there are moments I certainly didn't remember. And I think you know I've been married to Jim for um, a long long time now. You know, living with a therapist, you you pick up these uh, psychological insights as well. Years. Yeah. So he's always <laughs> there's always uh, new things they pick up on it. I mean, but it's even so, I knew the kind of the the broad. Um, ideas of the episode and where things were going and it doesn't lose any of that potency second time or third or fourth whatever time it is around as well definitely fab so i think that comes to the end of our discussion on frame of mind so uh jeff where can we find you online if you want to talk more starship next generation or anything else with you well i can be found on twitter at ncc underscore one seven formula one uh you can also follow my retro gaming page on there which is at specky world cup fab you can find me on twitter at baz greenland and on various we made this podcasts uh, where i hosted dot two podcast with my son ben and jeff you're going to come on board for an episode fairly soon to discuss on dot two which is going to be a bit of a crossover with it with this uh with the tng as well so it should be quite fun um and above and five podcasts a dream form as well as various other things on there as well um so jem you don't really have much of an online presence obviously your business New steps therapy, but uh, yeah, new steps therapy. Uh, I don't really want, don't need to plug that. Particularly, no, no, you don't. But, but that's, that's, that's your <laughs> But I guess from a podcasting point of view, you've actually started to get involved a bit more as well. So um, we were on on one of the uh, we made this podcasts, a Marvel podcast, podcast six on six. We'll be a couple of months from when this goes out, um, discussing the uh, psychological insights into the character of Moon Knight. There we go. Yeah, so getting more and more involved. With they're, they're dragging me in. They are, the yes. Slowly bringing you <laughs> in. Brilliant. I think, uh, I, I think I'm due on an episode of Podcast 616 at some point in the future. Definitely, yeah. Everyone come board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lot, lot, of, lot of fun. And of course, we'll be on Farpoint. You can search for us on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page by searching Beyond Farpoint as well. And, and also, please give us a rating of your podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on there as well. And next time, we will be looking at TNG crossovers and other shows. So we're going to be tapping into uh, probably a bit of DS9, a bit of Voyager, maybe even a bit of Prodigy there, looking at kind of uh, elements of Next Generation where they pop up in other shows. And, and probably probably the Enterprise finale as well. Uh, we're going to go into that one, I think, probably as well. But uh, that's all fun for next time. But until then, thank you, Jeff and Jem, for another really fun discussion into the cycle insights into uh, Riker's growing madness. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and thank you, listeners. Um, see you again on Beyond Firepoint. Thanks for listening. Let's see what's out there. Engage.